we have a vision for the Diocese of Tasmania to be a church for Tasmania, making disciples of Jesus. That is, we want to be a church for every part of Tasmanian life. We want to be a church for education, a church for government, a church for business, for healthcare, for media, for the arts, for families. And lots of people are for Tasmania, but uh, we believe that we have a job to do what only the church can do in being for Tasmania, and that is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're successful in this vision, then the church will grow. And that's our great desire, to see the church of God in Tasmania grow. The New Testament speaks a lot about growth, doesn't it? The growth of the church, the growth of the kingdom. And actually, in Matthew 13, uh, from where our text comes this morning, there are a number of stories of growth, the parable of the soils that we've just heard read, the seed and the sower. But you've also got the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast, all of which speak about the growth of God's kingdom. The New Testament is concerned with the growth of the kingdom. Well, this uh, parable we've just heard of the seeds or the four soils is very familiar to us. But this morning, I want to say four things about it. The first is about gospel growth and the sovereign hand of God. We know the parable pretty well, don't we? The sower went out to sow. Some of the seeds he uh, sowed fell on the path and they were eaten by birds. Some of the seed... Uh, fell on rocky ground where there was no soil, and so they withered in the sun. Some seeds fell among the thorns that choked them out. Some seed fell on the good soil, and it produced that massive crop. And when Jesus is asked what, what it means, he tells us it's a parable about hearing the word of God. Sometimes God's word is snatched away by the devil. Sometimes God's word is received well, but because it doesn't have deep roots in God, when trouble and persecution comes, the person falls away. Sometimes when people hear the word of God, the cares of the world and the lure of wealth squeeze them and the word does nothing. But sometimes people receive God's word and understand it and we are blessed with fruitfulness. Now, the parable doesn't tell us who the sower is, whether it's Jesus himself or whether it's God the Father, whether it's the disciples whom he has commissioned a couple of chapters before, or the church, perhaps you and me, as we carry on the sowing of the word in our own generation. However, the placement of the parable and its interpretation wrapped around the discussion of the purpose of the parables themselves in verses 10 to 17 makes one thing very clear, that God is the ultimate speaker of his word and it is with him that the response of people lies. That is, as people respond to the word in different ways, those four different soils, God is the one who determines the outcome. The section uh, from verses 10 to 17 on the purpose of the parables at first glance troubles us. You see, we've been so schooled in the art of illustration, of using stories to make our message clear, 
But it seems as if Jesus is saying that the parables almost obscure his message. Surely the parables were told to make the message of the kingdom plain and understandable. But what does Jesus actually say? Look at verse 13. He says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Now, some scholars have been quick to interpret these words as consequence, not purpose. That is to say, the consequence of the parables is that some see the story and they don't perceive its meaning. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. Consequence. But that won't do. The appeal to Isaiah 6, 9 to 10 in the next verses, in verse 14, makes it very clear that Jesus is saying that he uses the parables precisely for his purpose of election. Look at verse 14. He says, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. You see, the purpose of the parables, according to Jesus, is to be a vehicle for his sovereign electing purpose. To give the secrets of the kingdom to his own and to conceal them from those with lazy dispositions or blind eyes who cannot perceive or listen or understand. We discover that the parables are a sifting tool for the divinely sovereign God who not only sows the seed and speaks the word, but also determines the outcome. You see, the point is this. If people understand the parables, if people understand the gospel that we preach to them, we can be sure that it is God who has opened their eyes. We have annual training days uh, in the Diocese of Tasmania. We used to call them the diocesan training event and everyone told me that nobody likes the diocese, but they do like the bishops. So now we call it the bishops training event. (laughs) And uh, people come along, we have about 500 people each year who gather in two locations uh, and uh, we train people in disciple making. Uh, We can't have a vision to make disciples and not train people. And it's really easy for people to come to those training days and think that if they pick up a few tips... Maybe you learn some new music or a new uh, gospel outline or, or a new program that they, that they could go back and do this and people will get converted. They'll, they'll make disciples. So too for being in a theological college. You come here and you learn what ministry is about and you think, if I just go out and do this, it's going to be effective. But actually we need to remember that we sit under the divine sovereign hand of God as we go about our work. God grows his church. God is the one who makes some people respond to his message and others not. God is the one who has opened our eyes to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a great encouragement, isn't it? It's a great encouragement that as we go out from here, as we go uh, to our places of proclamation, 
that we are depending not on ourselves but on God to open people's eyes. The greatest disciple-making strategy we have, wherever we're called to minister, is to plead with our gracious Heavenly Father that he will soften calloused hearts, that he will open the eyes of the spiritually blind, that he will unstop the ears of the spiritually deaf, that he will provide the friable soil for the seed of his word. And in his mercy, turn people, turn Tasmanians, turn Sydney-siders, turn Australians, our neighbours, our family and our friends to the Lord Jesus Christ. Smithton is a little town in the uh, far northwest corner of Tasmania. It's a potato growing area. In fact, there's a massive deep fryer in the middle of town that uh, fries up your McCain's fries and you can smell it wafting through the main street when you go there. The Anglican church in Smithton had been very small for a number of years. They hadn't had a full-time minister for 20 years or so. And about uh, six years ago, we sent a new minister, a Moore College grad. We appointed him. And his number one strategy was to pray. To pray that the God who he worshipped would do more than they could possibly ask or imagine. And God, in his kindness, has answered that prayer. The church, which was 20, is now 90 strong. There are kids. They're overflowing. They're about to knock out the back wall of the church so that the kids and the families can fit in that church. Gospel growth is under the sovereign hand of God. The second thing we learn from this parable is that gospel growth is in a spiritually hostile environment. You see, the very first seed that falls on the path, the birds come and aid it up. In the ancient world, paths used to run in the open, unfenced fields and they'd get trampled and uh, were often trodden and compacted. The seed wouldn't even have a chance of finding covering, let alone nutrients in that harsh environment under the Mediterranean sun and they'd become easy pickings for the wily birds sitting in the trees watching the farmer at work. When Jesus explains this parable, notice what he tells his disciples it was all about. Look at verse 19. He says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Make no mistake. As we go about our gospel ministry, the evil one is lurking near to our sowing of the word, watching from the trees with, for people with compacted, well-trodden, unreceptive hearts, and he's eager to swoop in and snatch away the word of God. We know we are in, when we are engaged in gospel work, that we are engaged in a spiritual battle for people's hearts. This is very obvious where I live. Each year in Hobart, we have a dark pagan arts festival in the middle of winter. It's called Dark Mofo. And at this festival, the cross of Christ is openly mocked. 
People of faith are ridiculed. Satanic pagan rituals are, are set before us as works of art. We even have our own pagan atonement festival. The, the whole thing finishes with this a great paper mache animal, a, 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 an endangered Tasmanian animal, and it's carried through the streets and people write their regrets, their sins on pieces of paper. They put it in the, in the paper mache animal and they take it down to the water's edge and they set it on fire to set people free. Pagan atonement. And it makes holding out the light of Christ very difficult. And we know from Jesus' parable what is happening here. The evil one coming to snatch away the word of God. We are engaged in a spiritual battle against the forces of this present darkness, as, Hebrew, as Ephesians 6 calls it. Sometimes more subtle than dark mofo, but we should never lose sight of this. Gospel growth is in a spiritually hostile environment. Number three, gospel growth is in the context of the world. The seed that fell among the rocks was a sign of the word of God being planted in a world where there are pressures and hardships and persecution. So that when those difficulties arise, the, the seed, the word that has germinated and taken root in people's lives withers under the pressures. And we know this in our churches, don't we? We see the God, the word of God lodge in some people's hearts, in their lives, but it never seems to go anywhere. It doesn't develop. They don't take it in. They don't take it to heart and allow it to grow and develop. And when the tough times come, they drift away. The stories, you know the stories of people in your own lives who appear to have been converted, who waver when difficulties come and slip away into nothingness. And it's all too familiar a story for us in pastoral ministry. The seed that falls among the thorns is the word germinating into faith, but getting choked out by the cares of the world and the lure of wealth. It robs people of discipleship and entangles them like thorns and draws them into their trap. The ancient words, the, the lure of the cares of the world and the lure of wealth, seem to describe a lot of what is happening in contemporary Australian society, don't they? We're the lucky country, surrounded by good things all the time, and it gives a great challenge to our evangelistic efforts. But number four, gospel growth and fruitfulness. In spite of all the heaviness of the reality of mission in secular Australia in 2023, the parable reaches this thrilling climax, doesn't it? About the fruitfulness of God's word. Where the seed finds good soil that is friable and moist and nutritious. The seed germinates and grows and brings with it a great yield. Notice the 30, 60 and 100 fold of the yield. When the gospel finds receptive hearts, then it does what it is supposed to do. That is, bring people to repentance and faith in Christ and grow as 
his disciples. Yes, this is the sovereign work of God, preparing hearts to receive his word. He is the one who opens the eyes of the blind and softens their calloused hearts. He is the one doing this miraculous work. And when it happens, it's glorious. I want to tell you about the parish of the Hewan. Hewan Villa is about 40 minutes south of Hobart in a glorious valley, lush valley of apple and cherry trees. It's idyllic. And a young Ridley graduate has been working there. When he went, the church was small and weak in the midst of great spiritual darkness. In 2018, we did a, a prayer tour around the diocese and I discovered when I went there from an elderly lady that uh, some decades before, somebody had broken into the church in the night and made a pagan sacrifice on the Lord's table. We prayed. Gracious evangelism has taken place. Christianity explored. Courses have been conducted. Ministry to children. Faithful preaching. And along with the careful work of church buildings and facilities and making the place look welcoming and raising up leaders and training and equipping, the seed has found fertile ground. Praise be to the Lord God. And now it's one of our most vital rural churches. It reminds us, doesn't it, of what this parable promises. The gospel fruit comes when the seed is sown. That is, we have to be about the work of sowing for there to be any germination, any chance of fruit. Yes, it depends on God, but we have to be sowing the word. We have to sow more seed. We have to get about gospeling, finding opportunities, as creative and interestingly as we can be, to tell people about Jesus. During the great revivals of the 19th century in Britain and North America, there was indeed a great outpouring of the Spirit and a great movement of God. But in addition to this, there was also a great multiplication of the preaching of the gospel. One of the factors of the great number of conversions to Christ was there was plenty of seed around. Thousands upon thousands of sermons were preached. There was sowing of the seed. In the back of the hall in the town of New Norfolk in Tasmania, there's a strange wooden contraption on wheels. It looks like a an, an old-fashioned ice cream cart with big wheels on the side and a lectern on the top. It's actually the mobile pulpit of the first Anglican minister in Tasmania, Reverend Robert Knopwood. He has an unfortunate reputation for being a bit of a drinker. There is not one but two bars in Hobart named after him, one called Noppies, and one in Knopwood Lane called Preachers, both in his name. But despite that, Robert Knopwood was a great preacher. Some of his sermons are stirring when you read them today. He sowed lots of seed in the early history, uh, white history of Tasmania. May we, in our generation, emulate our ancestors 
in the vigorous, faithful, repetitive, courageous preaching of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Sowing the seed where God calls us to minister, our parishes, our towns, our cities. Because what Tasmanians desperately need, what Sydney siders, what Australians all over need to know more than anything else, is that Jesus died for their sins. And he rose again for their hope of glory and calls them to repentance and faith. This is the glorious task that God has committed to us of being sowers of the seed, telling the old, old story of Jesus and his love so that when the seed hits the fertile ground, God can bring the growth and a harvest for him. 30, 60, and 100-fold. To God be the glory. Amen.